0: So I don't know about you, but I think, we've all, I think we've all had this kind of experience or this feeling. And that's kind of the idea that when you, you feel like you're in a relationship with someone and they're, they're kind of maybe they're mad at you or there's just something weird between you two, but they won't actually come out and say it, right? But you just, you kinda, you're picking up clues that maybe things are not good between you two. Um, and that's just been happening to me lately with somebody I work with here at the church. And so it uh, started probably about a month ago. Um, Sam you know I'm in my office my phone rings it's Sam I pick it up and he says hey man I'm ready for my lunch And so I'm like okay so I, I run and I, I get his tray and I get the flowers that he likes <laughs> I cut his PB&J the way he likes it. he doesn't like it the diagonal he likes it like that and uh, he sits down put the napkin in his lap and he takes like two bites and he's like meh and he throws it in the trash I'm like standing right there And so I'm thinking, is this one of those, hey, tell me you're mad at me without telling me you're mad at me kind of things? And so I thought, okay, well, that's fine. A couple days go by, I'm in his office, and he kind of turns around, he looks at his shelves, he says, hey, man, this dust is not going to dust itself, you know? And so I'm in there, dusting away, I pledge his death, so it's nice. Um, And again, not thinking much of that. And then I I leave, and then out out there, there's Dolores, she works with us, and I'm talking to her and she said, What are you doing? I said, Well, it's in there dusting Sam's office. She says, Why were you doing that? I said, Well, because he, he said. And she said, Well, that's funny because I just did it this morning. <laughs> and so I thought, Well, that's weird. I mean, three hours, how much dust can you get on your shelves? But is he mad? No, nah, he's, no, nah, he just, he needs, he likes it clean. That's what it is. He just likes it clean. No problem. Uh, a couple days go by, and then he's like, Hey, man, <clears throat> uh, if you could put two coats of wax on my car, that would be better. <laughs> and so, no problem, I go outside, I mean, it's kinda hot, but no problem, but this, and I'm doing the second coat and I'm thinking, wait a minute, he drives like a white car, I don't even know if this is his car, so I come back in, I said, hey, is that your car? And he said, no, it's just a rental. <laughs> you made me put two coats of wax on your rental car. Well, it looks nice though, so I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk away, no problem, hey, we're good, no problem. Then a couple more days go by. He says, hey, man, I'm gonna be out of town with my family. I'm going on vacation. And uh, would you like to preach that Sunday? And I'm like, wow, what an honor. Yes, I, what, Yes, great opportunity. Anytime you can preach God's word. That's awesome. Love to do it. Tell me what passage I have. Daniel 11. <laughs> so now I'd say that in jest. I'm just kidding around. Uh, if you're a guest with us and you're thinking, let me just be, tell you why our people are laughing our pastor wouldn't even know how to ask me to do those things. He would never do that. So, just so you know, we are going to look at Daniel 11 today, and all kidding aside, if you just if you just took out Daniel 11 and you read it today, cursory reading, it's rough. Okay? It's kind of hard to understand. Now, having said that, I'm also fully confident that this actually has really good Daniel God has really good stuff for us this morning through Daniel 11. So, we're gonna dive into that. Now here's the thing, last week, Justin stood up here and he did Daniel chapter 10 and chapter 10 is basically about this messenger that comes that's gonna tell him a revelation, a, a prophecy of things to come in the future. And so Justin did a great job. Justin, side note, it's just not fair. I'm not even good at one thing. He's like really good at two things. I don't. That guy, he's not, it's, it's incredible. So back to the story chapter 11 and 12 is actually the revelation. And so it's kind of like this. Imagine if you're looking, this is in, this is in Colorado. I'm looking west at a kind of a mountain range. And this is kind of how the vision is for him. He's looking at things that are way off in the distance. And he can't really tell how far these things are away. This, the, these prophecies could be happening next week. It could be happening in a hundred years. It could be happening in 10,000 years. It's just, he's getting a picture and it's kind of far away. Now you see on the left, that's called Mount Meeker. On the right, the red is called Mount McHenry. If you get above that and look down, what you'll realize is those are about three miles different. But when you're looking at it from this vantage point, they don't look that different, right? And so that's kind of how this chapter is. There's kind of three parts to it and they're all gonna happen for Daniel in the future. Now, two of the pieces actually have already happened for us the final piece is actually still in the future for us too. So that's kind of the gist of the chapter. So let's kind of dive in. If, you, if this is your first Sunday with us, uh, or maybe you've been coming kind of off and on while we're doing Daniel, or maybe you're just in the room and you're like, Chris, I'm not exactly an Old Testament scholar, okay? I don't, I don't have a firm grasp around all this. We're gonna take just a second and I'm gonna try to get us so that we understand what's going on, the context. Anytime you're trying to understand the Bible, understanding the context, is huge, right? So where are we and how do we get here? So we're gonna take a couple minutes. We're gonna have some fun with maps because anytime you're looking at maps, that's super fun. So that's what we're gonna do. All right, first thing, let's talk about Israel. Hopefully we've all heard of Israel before. In its heyday, its king, the, the best king they ever had was David and it was awesome and everything was great. Then David had a son named Solomon. Things kind of started downhill after that. They actually had a civil war and the ten, there's actually 12 tribes in Israel. 10 of them went to the north, they retained the name Israel. The other two stayed to the south, they, their name of their little country was called Judah, right? All right, the big world superpower at that time were actually the Assyrians. So here's the Assyrian empire, okay? So they're the big boys on the block, world superpower. They roll around, come down to Israel, put the smack down on Israel. They they conquer them, they take all the people, and they scatter them all throughout the Assyrian empire. And that's what they're known as the lost tribes of Israel because they just, they're gone. So that happened. Then, so the Assyrians were in power and that was the case. Then the next big boys on the block were the Babylonians. So the Babylonians take over from the Assyrians and they also come rolling around, come down to Israel, which Israel's gone, what's left is is Jerusalem and, and Judah. And the Babylonians crushed them. In 586 BC, they destroyed the temple. But they, instead of, their method of conquering people is not to take the people and go scatter them throughout the empire. Their method is we're gonna take the best and the brightest, we're gonna take them off and we're basically gonna brainwash them back home to make them Babylonians and then we'll let them kind of run parts of the empire, kind of dissolve them out that way. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were the upper crust kind of leader types Strong leaders, that's why they get taken, and along with thousands of other people, get taken off into captivity, captivity to Babylon. Now, in Daniel, while they're there, uh, Sam preached on this. Do you remember the, the story of, of the handwriting on the wall with the finger? Many, many tekel parson, which means you've been weighed and found wanting. So that happens. And what it's, that, the prophecy that night is hey, your kingdom is about to be taken away from you, like literally tonight. And that's, so that's the, the Babylonians were in charge. God's saying you're done, and yes, that actually happened. That night, the other big world superpower, the Medo-Persians, so it's combo, they actually take over from the Babylonians. Chapter eleven is right after this happened, so now the Medo-Persians are in power, and Daniel's there, and that's that's kind of the the, the situation. The next big boy on the block is going to be the Greeks, and that's going to come up in the passage, right? Okay, so now let's actually go to that chapter. If you're new with us, maybe you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible for you in in the pew. You can pull it out. Daniel's kind of in the middle part of the Bible. If you want to know, it's actually, the chapter we're looking at is actually on page 701. So go ahead and open up to chapter 11. Let's look at that. We're going to do the first four verses first because this is kind of a nearer term prophecy. So this first verse is actually carryover from the last chapter. It says, and as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, remember the Medo-Persians took over? So this is the, the ruler now. Darius is the ruler of the Medo-Persians. As for me, in the first year of Darius, I stood, to, uh, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So that's that messenger from chapter 10. Many believe it's Jesus, could be Gabriel. Anyway, now here we go. Verse two. And now I will show you the truth. Here comes the beginning of this revelation of prophecy, of these things that are gonna happen. Behold, three more kings shall rise in Persia and a fourth shall be richer than all of them. And when he's become strong through his riches, he shall stir up uh, up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall rise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. All right, so what's going on? So this first four verses, basically talking about four kings. The final king in this list is actually Alexander the Great, and he's actually a Greek. Do you remember there was the Medo-Persians and then the Greeks are gonna come into power? That's what happens. So this, this great king, Alexander the Great, he takes over, he's a Greek And the Greek empire, he just takes over, just runs roughshod over everybody. But he doesn't last very long. He only lasts about 10 years and he dies in Babylon. Now, when you have a king of anything and he dies, who does the kingdom go to? The son, right? But remember the prophecy said, it's not gonna go to his posterity. And that's happened. Alexander set it up that when he passed, it would go to his four generals. And that each general will kind of have a little sub-kingdom. And so that's exactly what happened. So Alexander, he dies in Babylon. The empire gets split into four smaller kingdoms. All of those are led by uh, his former generals. Now, the next part of the chapter, which is the, the bulk of the chapter, verse 5 to 35, is actually recounting what happened between two of those four kingdoms, the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. Now, we are not going to read all of these verses today because it would take a long time and it's kind of just you know it's basically the kingdom of the north fought with the kingdom of the south and then the kingdom of the south fought with the kingdom of the north and then they both had sons and then those guys fought each other and then they had sons and they fought each other. It's, it's like the Hatfields and the McCoys it's just back and forth the kingdom of the north kingdom of the south those two kingdoms are called the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Now, Ptolemy has that P, but you don't pronounce, it's like Psalms, don't pronounce the P. So the Seleucids and Ptolemies. Here's another map, this is our final map. I'm sorry, this is all I can give you today. The kingdom, this is the Northern Kingdom, pretty huge, and it includes kind of Jerusalem, uh, Israel. Israel has always been kind of a hinge point. And then here's the Kingdom of the South, it's basically Egypt and North Africa. So here's the Seleucids, here's the Ptolemies, and again, Five through 35 is basically them going back and forth and fighting. Nobody really dominates the other one, right? So they go back and forth. There you go. The fifth generation, so they go back and forth. The fifth generation kind of king of this, the kingdom of the north, is a guy named Antiochus. Now, Sam had mentioned him when he preached, I think it was Daniel 8, Antiochus. Here's what you need to know about Antiochus. He's a really bad guy. So much so that every time I say really bad guy, I need you to boo. So Antiochus, he's a really bad guy. Yeah, thank you, good job, way to go everyone. All right, let's talk about how bad a guy he was. First of all, his name is Antiochus, but that's not good enough. No, no, just when I say really bad guy. Sorry, you're getting ahead of me. I like the, I like the, I like the participation, let's hold on. All right, so Antiochus comes along and he says, I'm kind of awesome, And so I want everyone to call me Antiochus Epiphanes. An epiphany is like when God shows up and manifests himself. So like when Moses is talking to the burning, when God talks to Moses in the burning bush and it doesn't burn up and there's an actual physical representation of God right there, that's an epiphany. So Antiochus says, I'm kind of awesome. And when I show up in a room, it's like God's here because I'm God. So I'm gonna name myself Antiochus Epiphanes. Now people around, Sam mentioned this also, people around him actually called him Antiochus Epimenes, and Epimenes means cray-cray. He's a crazy person, he's a madman. And so they would call him behind his back, Antiochus Epimenes. Now, why did he get this name? Because he was crazy and he was a really bad guy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, I heard you. All right, how bad is it? Well, remember, he would fight with the uh, Ptolema, yeah, with the Ptolemais. He couldn't ever really conquer them, so on his way back, he has to go through Israel Well, he would take out his frustration on the Jews. The Jews didn't have anything to do with their battles. I mean, that's not, they were not a part of that. But he was just mad and he would take it out on the Jews. And so one day he was mad and he rolled through there and he just murdered 80,000 Jews in one day. You say, that's pretty bad. That's not the worst thing he did. Let's talk about that. Another time he goes down there, loses battle, comes back, he's mad. He attacks them on their Sabbath. He rolls into the temple their holiest of places, and he plunders it. He t- they have a lot of things made out of gold. He takes all of that. He sets up an image of Zeus. Zeus was the biggest big boy god that the Greeks had. He sets up an image of Zeus in the temple. He sets up an altar to him. He makes the priests sacrifice to a false god, this is violating the first two commandments of the of the uh, Ten Commandments. He makes them sacrifice a pig. A pig is an unclean animal to the Jews. They don't, they're not supposed to eat pork. They're not supposed to touch. He makes them do that. He, I didn't even have this on here. He, (laughs) so they have their their Bible, their Old Testament scrolls. They sacrifice the pig. He makes them eat the flesh. He takes the blood. He pours it on their Bible. He tears it up and he burns it because pouring the pig blood on it wasn't enough and tearing it up wasn't enough. So he's going to burn it in front of them. He goes to other towns in Israel, makes his soldiers go there. They set up a false, a a altar to Zeus. He makes the people come out. He makes them sacrifice a pig. He makes them eat the flesh of the pig. And if they don't, he just kills them. Did I mention he's a really bad guy? Thank you, thank you. And he required this on his subsequent birthdays. They had to do this same thing. Now, here's the thing. The chapter talks about this. It's called the abomination that causes desolation. That phrase is used. And in fact, you actually see that phrase, Jesus uses that phrase in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, talking about this. What is an abomination that causes, what does that mean? An abomination is something that causes disgust or almost hatred. And so uh, what he did in the temple is an abomination to God and to the people of God. And by doing this abomination, it caused desolate. He's basically dissolving their faith practices. And here's why. If your faith practice requires you to do a sacrificial system that you can only do with things that are holy and clean in a certain place, a certain time, there's real strict rules, and he puts pig blood all on it and it stains it, how can you practice your religion anymore? It, it's, it's making Judaism desolate. He's basically wiping them out and saying, you're not gonna be able to worship your God anymore. Obviously, this does not go over very well with the Jews. And so what happens is they revolt. And so you may have heard of this before. It's called the Maccabean Revolution. So they decide enough is enough. We're gonna stand up to this guy. And that's exactly what, they stand up to him. They fight him. They battle back and forth with his soldiers for about three years, and they actually win. Side note, this doesn't have anything to do with the chapter, but side note, uh, this is where the Jews get Hanukkah from. When they, when they won, they had, a, they had a lamp that only had enough oil that was gonna last only one night, but it ended up lasting eight nights. So the menorah, the Hanukkah, all of that comes from this, the Maccabean revolution. The other thing that came from the Maccabean revolution is a movement within Judaism called the Hasadim. And it means the godly or the pious or the Lord. So there was this movement within Judaism of we have got to protect our religion. We've got to protect our faith because this guy almost stamped us out and of course, this has been happening to us for a while. And by the way, this will happen to them again later. But th- we've got to, s- there's a movement within Judaism. We're gonna stand up, the Hasidim, and we're gonna stop. We're gonna, we're gonna, no matter what, no matter what anybody does to us, we're gonna maintain our faith and our practices. Now, you see this in modern day. You ever seen these guys? They're called Hasidic Jews. That, that came from this movement. So they are really, really, really serious about maintaining the rules. Thus, you can see they always have the hair like right here because they don't shave that because in the Old Testament law, it said don't shave that. So they're like super serious about it. So this movement of Hasidic Jews came from this. There was another group of people that came from this that if you've been in church a while and you've read the gospels, you know these guys, the Pharisees. So if you've been in church a while, you've read the gospels, you've heard about, Jesus would butt heads with these guys and I used to always read the New Testament and especially the Gospels and I would see the Pharisees butting heads with Jesus and I would think, what is your problem? <laughs> like, how are, you're very dense. In fact, you're really not smart. You have God's son right in front of you. He's doing a miracle. And you're like, ah, we don't, we're not down with this guy. How did you, how are you missing this? This explains it. If for 200 years, your whole thing was protecting Judaism, not gonna let anybody anybody tell us what to do, not gonna get us off center, not gonna change anything we do. You've kind of built this fortress and you're gonna maintain that fortress. Then some guy comes along, whose dad's like a carpenter or something. He comes from Nazareth, nothing good comes. I mean, that is so backwater. He's not a learned man. And he shows up and he says, crazy things like, I'm God's son. <laughs> he says things like, I know you've heard it said, but I say this, that's a change. He says things like, those are old wineskins. Let's, let's talk about new wine and new wineskins. The guy's trying to change everything. So he's just another in a long line of people that has tried to change Judaism. So as a Pharisee, we're, we're gonna just dismiss him just like we've done the guys before and the guys that'll come along in the future. We're gonna protect this thing and we're not gonna let anybody change us. Does that make sense? That's the reason the Pharisees, I think, were so bad at recognizing who Jesus was. And I don't necessarily feel sorry for them, but I do understand them better now when I read the gospels. All right, let's get back to the, let's get back to the chapter. So again, first four verses, those are the Persian kings and Alexander the Great. The next 36 verses are the two kingdoms, the Seleucids, and the Ptolemies, going back and forth. The last part of that is a lot about um, Antiochus, because he's a really bad guy. Thank you. And then the last part, the last about 10 verses are about the Antichrist. Now that actually fits better with chapter 12 and Ryan two is gonna preach that next week. So I went to him a couple weeks ago and I said, guess what, you're gonna take that section. All right, and so come back next week and he's gonna explain the Antichrist and all the end time stuff and you'll, you'll understand it really great when he comes. So good luck for him. <clears throat> Let's pray for him. Now there's a thing in the Bible. Why, why, did, we, why did that chapter have so much about Antiochus and especially towards the end of that one section? I believe there's a, not I believe, there is a concept called types in the Bible. What is a type? A type is like Abraham or Moses or David. It's a forerunner to something that's much greater. So Abraham, Moses, David, they're types of Jesus. They're not Jesus, they're not Jesus in all of his fullness, but there's part of them, they kind of are like him. it's It's a small picture of the bigger picture. Does that make sense? So Antiochus, to me, is a type. It's just the other way around. He's a type of the Antichrist. So that's kind of the end of that section. Now here's the cool thing. Daniel is given this vision of all this stuff that's gonna happen. Through verse 35, that has already happened for us. The last part, that's yet to come. That will happen. When I was doing my research for this, I stumbled upon this quote from a guy named John, Dr. John Walvard. Walvard was the president of Dallas Seminary, this is where I went, for like 35 years. He's a, he was a worldwide expert on end times, what's called eschatology. He was the man. So he had this quote about Daniel chapter 11. I thought it was great. He says, the amazingly detailed prophecies of the first 35 verses of this chapter. Okay, pause. <clears throat> Many people believe Daniel chapter 11 has the most prophecy of any chapter in the Bible. It's just chock full of specific prophecies. So the amazingly detailed prophecies of the first 35 verses of this chapter containing as they do approximately 135 prophetic statements all now fulfilled constitute an impressive introduction to the events that are yet future beginning in verse 36. The fact is There's no supported evidence which can contradict any statement made in these 35 verses. From the divine viewpoint, the accuracy of this prophetic word is supporting evidence that prophecy yet unfulfilled will have the same precise fulfillment in the future. What is he saying? He's saying, there's 135 prophecies in the first 35 verses and it all came true and it's undisputed. So what do we think? How much can we count on the stuff in the last few verses coming true? You pretty much take it to the bank, right? Let me give you an example. Say so you get done with church today, you go home, grab some lunch. Um, you go up into the attic because you got to get something down. You notice, oh, I don't remember that box being there? So you grab this box, you take the lid off and there's these old kind of yellow, like real delicate pieces of paper kind of frayed on the edge. You're like, this is weird. And you pull it out. And it's kind of got that old English kind of script. You look down and <clears throat> at the bottom, there's kind of a, somebody signed it and it sure looks like George Washington signed this. You're thinking, this can't be. So you take it to a guy who's an expert in this kind of stuff, antiquities. He looks at the piece of paper, he verifies it. Turns out this piece of paper is like 250 years old. You're like, how did I get this? This is crazy, I wonder if somebody else left this. This is great, this is awesome. So you take it to a person who can kind of decipher the writing. You sit down with him. He says, oh yeah, I can tell you what this says. Okay, at the top of it, it says, George Washington's predictions for 2023 up through July. It's very specific. So, you start looking down, you say, okay, what is he saying? Turns out the first bullet on that says that the Rangers will be in first place in the AL West. (laughs) Then it says, hey, this weekend, there's gonna be two movies come out, one's called Oppenheimer and one's called Barbie, and you can actually buy a ticket and go see them both as if your head could get around both of those movies. It says the stock market will be at 35,227 at the close of business on Friday. It says there's a guy, an American guy named Brian Harmon that's gonna be leading after the third round of the British Open, he's gonna be 12 under. It says that there's two lotteries, one will have just been won but the other one's gonna be about $800 million. And then it goes on and lists about like 20 other things. And you're just like, how did, what? How could he have, this is crazy. Then the, and you, point to the bottom, so now, what is this last line? The guy looks at it and he says, oh, what it says is, uh, f- to see my predictions for the rest of the year, turn the page over. Are you going to turn that page over? you dang straight you are. <laughs> of course you are. You want to see what's going to happen. So you turn it over, and sure enough, there's actually the lottery numbers to win the $800 million lottery. <laughs> You're like, sweet. Then it also talks about how the, the, the conflict and the, the war going on between Russia and Ukraine, how that's gonna get resolved. So you think, man, that's great. I'd love that, that's so great. And then it says that the Cowboys are gonna win the Super Bowl. <laughs> now, clearly this is a fictional story that I'm making up. We all know this could never actually happen. So let me ask you this question. What would you be feeling inside as you turned that piece of paper over and you were reading those things? To me, it would be hopeful, a sense of surety, almost an excitement. Why? Because I'm pretty dang sure the stuff on the backside is gonna come true. Why am I sure that the stuff on the backside is gonna come true? Because the stuff on the first side, he nailed it. That's kind of this chapter. The first 35 verses, 135 prophecies nailed it. So what's the likelihood that the next is gonna, the the future stuff's gonna come true? Go ahead and take that to the bank. So, anytime you read the Bible, even in your time with the Lord in the morning or whatever, you should probably always ask this question Well, so what? What do you want me to do? What about it? Here's the so what for me out of Daniel chapter 11. This gives me tremendous hope. Even though the chapter is kind of rough, in fact, the end of the chapter, we start getting into Antichrist, you're like, ugh. You say, Well, why does that give you hope? Three reasons. First of all, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is over everything. Everything is under him. Kings, he raises them up and puts them down. Time, that's crazy. We are bound by time. God sits above time. In fact, three times in this chapter, three different times, this phrase is used at the appointed time. Verse 27, he predicts some stuff and he says it's yet to be at the appointed time. Verse 29, at the appointed time. Verse 35, this stuff's gonna happen. It still waits for the appointed time. What does that tell us? It tells us that God is sovereign. We will feel like things are out of control. We will feel like things are never gonna end. That's not true. There is a sovereign God that's running this thing, even though we don't feel it a lot of the times. My parents bought me this, this thing I'm gonna show you. It sits in my office and it says this. It says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. That's the idea here. As a guy who worries way too much, who I wish I had much more faith, who struggles sometimes with anxiety, this is golden. I always think, man, if I just knew everything ahead of time, everything would be great, I'd be fine then I would never exercise faith in God. How do we know, how do we please God? Hebrews 11 tells us, we we please God by exercising faith in him. So I don't need to know what happens tomorrow. I need to know who holds tomorrow. Amen? All right. So God is sovereign. Second thing is he's never forgotten his kids. He just hasn't. He has allowed, he has allowed his children to go through tough times. If you're, if you're, Uh, maybe new to the faith or maybe you're just checking out Christianity and if unfortunately someone, maybe a a Christian told you this, that man, you just believe in God and everything will be awesome in your life and peachy keen. I'm sorry that they told you that. It's just not true. This Bible, this book does not agree with that statement. What that book says (laughs) is when things don't go bad, there is a God who will walk with you through it. Psalms 23 talks about he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't fear that because God is with him. And he's never forgotten his kids. So even though there's times where it doesn't go the way you want, he's never forgotten. He allowed his children for 400 years to be slaves in Egypt, but it ended. He allowed his people to walk around in the wilderness for 40 years, but that ended. The book of Daniel is them in captivity in Babylon. Do you remember the map? They're in captivity for 70 years, but it ended. God is not gonna just allow pain and suffering to go on forever. He's never forgotten us. He's not gonna let it go on forever. And then the third reason I have some hope from this is that he's setting up a new and a better kingdom. So earlier in this book, this is a great verse, chapter two, verse 44, he says this, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. This chapter is talking about kingdoms that, I mean, there's the Assyrians, then there's the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, and then then not this chapter, but we know from history, then the Romans take over. Uh, You know, the Spanish people had an empire. The French had a pretty big, powerful empire. The British empire, I mean, that was a huge deal. Really, the 20th century is really kind of the American. There There are kingdoms that come and go. We read about them all the time. What he's saying is there will come a time, there is this kingdom, I'm gonna set it up and it's gonna last forever and it's not gonna pass to someone else. It will go on forever. It's really cool. So... If you're here today, let's say again, and a friend invited you, um, or you've, you haven't been in church in a while, don't, don't worry about the maps, don't worry about the crazy names, don't worry about the kings, don't worry about Antiochus, don't worry about lots of stuff. Here, here's the thing that I long for you to hear from this chapter. There is a real kingdom and a real king, and his name is Jesus. He is God's son. He's the the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the one we've been looking for to come fix all this. And in his love and by his grace, he came to this planet. He lived a perfect, holy life. He died, he literally died on a cross. Three days later, he came back from the grave, came back to life. He conquered death, sin, Satan, hell. And then here's the coolest part. He's coming back. You say, how do you know that? Well, how can you be sure of that? We just talked about it. He's coming back. And he's gonna set, he has kind of already inaugurated this kingdom when he first came, but when he comes a second time, it's gonna be full on. And he's gonna be the king of it forever. When he was here the first time, he would roll into a city and he would tell them his message, his gospel message was this. Hey, you need to repent for the kingdom of God is near. I'm starting this kingdom and so here's the cool part for you today. You can be a part of this kingdom. You say, how do you do that? Three things, the Bible talks about this. You repent, you believe, and you follow. You repent, you change your mind about who Jesus is. Not he wasn't just a good teacher or a good guy. He is everything that we just said, God's son, the Messiah. You, you believe, what do you believe about him? That he died, that he rose again. And then you follow him. Because again, if you say he's my king, then that means you have to follow him, right? Now, for us in America, this is super weird because we don't have a king, right? We, our whole country was founded on, we don't even want a king. That's why we're gonna go, go over here and do our own thing. We don't want a kingdom, we don't want a king, we're gonna go over here. So when we read this, we talk about a kingdom and a king that's gonna last forever. That's hard for us as Americans, but here's the thing. It's hard for us because every king we've ever read about is usually a bad guy. They're certainly imperfect here's the beauty of this. This kingdom and this particular king, he is perfect. He is benevolent. He is loving. He is merciful. He is holy. He always gets it right. Always gets it right. This is the guy we want in charge, and he's going to be. And so if you want to be a part of that, join with him actually be in this adventure of expanding the kingdom. It's not something you wait for until you, you know, your days on this earth are over. You can do that like today. We would love that. So tell you what, we're gonna, we're gonna worship this king who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're gonna worship him in just a moment. I'm gonna pray, then we're gonna worship. Then I'm gonna come back up and we'll close this out. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And we love that you're a good king. God, we don't know anybody like you. God, I pray that those of us that may don't, if we don't know that we know today that we're part of the kingdom, God, we could get that settled today. God, for those of us that do know you as king, God, that that would really encourage us, Today's, today's truth from Daniel. And God, you didn't promise a bed of roses, what you promised is you'd be with us. You'd be our king, you'd never forsake us. And so we're banking on that, God. Again, God, we love you. We want you to hear how much we love you right now as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up.